in every other area of life, a challenge is a good thing. We challenge ourselves to learn how to swim. We challenge ourselves to do a 5K. We challenge ourselves to eat healthier, to try a new hobby or a skill. And when we have kids who are challenging, they are challenging our thoughts, our beliefs, our backgrounds, and they are forcing us to look at the world from their point of view. And I think that that is the best thing they could possibly do. Is your child's challenging behavior leaving you feeling exhausted, defeated, and hopeless? You are not alone. And I want you to know you are not a failure and your child is not broken. Welcome to Calm the Chaos Parenting, the podcast for parents raising strong-willed, highly sensitive, or neurodivergent children. I'm Dana Abraham parenting expert, and I have helped hundreds of thousands of families just like yours. Each week, I'll share simple science-backed solutions to help you feel more grounded, in tune, and deeply connected to your child, no matter what challenge you face. Start your journey from surviving to thriving as a family at calmthechaospodcast.com. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm really excited to dive in today because I've got an amazing guest that is going to be talking to us about what happened when she applied the Calm the Chaos framework to her unique family. But the reason I'm really excited about it is recently I've been getting a lot of flack online because my book, Calm the Chaos, has the subhead about it being a fail-proof roadmap for parenting even the most challenging kids. And there's been a lot of uh, kind of pushback around me calling kids challenging, that that's rude, that that's mean, that that's disrespectful to the kids, and it's not honoring the kids themselves. And listen, I've heard that for years now. But as long as I've parented my own kids, as long as I've been around, I believe I was that challenging kid. And I believe I still am a challenge to a lot of people in my world. But one of the things that I've realized is the parents who come to me who are looking for support, when I ask them to describe their kid in one word, it's always the same word, challenge. It's such a challenge. They're so hard. And it doesn't mean that they love them less. It doesn't mean that they don't care about their kids. It doesn't even mean that they see their kid in a negative light. But this kid is challenging. They've pushed everyone beyond what they're used to. And today's story reminds me so much about why I choose to hold steady to using the term challenging kids. Because the story of the mom that's coming on, she's going to share about um, her uh, adopted child and the the challenges they went through when they first became a family and the challenges they still have. But the thing that stood out to me is that before becoming a member of Jen's family, her daughter was kind of given up on by so many people in her life because she was quote unquote challenging. She was more challenging than any other kid. She was, you know, worse off. She was too far gone. You name it. This is how she was described by professionals, by the system that was trying to help her. And because Jen is a member of our community, Jen was able to help this child feel seen, feel heard, and understood for the child she is without changing her. So 
without further ado, I'd like to introduce all of you to the amazing Jen Beanie. Welcome, Jen, to the podcast. Hello. I had you on today because I think you've got such a beautiful story to tell. But also, I don't think you even knew knew this. When we talked just recently and you were telling your story about your daughter, I had gotten a really negative review on Amazon. And part of it was because I called the kids challenging. And it hit me in my gut, hit me in all my like sensitive spots. Like, oh man, I really want to be out there and helping parents, especially parents who have neurodivergent children, parents who um, are trying to help their kids the best they can. And I don't want a barrier that's going to hold them back from being able to get this framework. And then you shared your story the very next day. And I realized that it's kids like your daughter that I want to reach, the ones who have been kind of cast aside, the ones who have been counted out as too far gone. And if that means that I have to talk about it as challenging kids, then I'm okay with that. So um, so I, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. And then I want you to afterwards tell me about your family. But what are your thoughts on this idea of challenging kids? I'm not sure there's a better word to describe it. You know, we have all of these adjectives that we attach to our children and I've talked to in the, you know, six years since my son's um, autism diagnosis. And that is the word that comes up almost first, if not the most, is it's challenging. It's hard. And then all of the synonyms of, you know, challenging. And there almost seems to be kind of a stigma attached to that word that if we call our kids challenging, then we're saying that they're negative or they're broken. Yeah. And, you know, where I'm coming from, if you're a new listener to this podcast, where I'm coming from is I believe challenging is actually a good thing. I think it pushes those of us that are adults, those of us that are caring for these children, it pushes us to think differently, to learn differently, to try things out in a way that we would have never done. And in every other area of life, a challenge is a good thing. We challenge ourselves to learn how to swim. We challenge ourselves to do a 5K, couch to 5K is a thing. Um, we challenge ourselves to eat healthier, to um, to try a new hobby or a skill. And when we have kids who are challenging, they are challenging our thoughts, our beliefs, our backgrounds, and they are forcing us to look at the world from their point of view. And I think that that is the best thing they could possibly do. And you yourself have, um, I think that, you know, Jen, you have a family of challenging humans. <laughs> and so can you describe in the best case possible, we were just before we got on, we were talking about your now seven-year-old and how he challenges you all the time. And you've learned a way to see the humor in his challenges instead of seeing it as as disrespect. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your family? My husband and I have been uh, married for 14 years now. I have a 20-year-old stepson that I raised as my own since he was nine. I have a 13-year-old son um, diagnosed with autism at the age of seven, a now seven-year-old son, and my recently adopted 16-year-old daughter. 
Okay. And your seven-year-old does not have a diagnosis? He does not. Um, but one of the, the challenges, see, that's the right word, that we were coming up against was he was mimicking and modeling on his older brother's behavior. And then we went into lockdowns and he had zero peer models. And so um, it was almost as if he should have a diagnosis, but it was just purely peer modeling. Mm-hmm. Now talk to me a little bit about your daughter, because that's that's what we're going to be focusing on mostly today. It was probably one of the biggest challenges you faced as a parent. Yes. Um, my husband and I, um, when we first got married, we you know talked about adopting um, a teenager from foster care. Um, we had both had friends in foster care. We knew that a lot of those children just age out and get forgotten. And we felt that we were uniquely qualified um, to parent um, a teenager. We reached out to the state and the, about six months later, we were matched. And right at the last minute, a few days before she was supposed to come, her social worker kind of changed her mind and said she thought that she would be better in an only child situation. So that was very heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And a few months later, I ironically had ended up in an online book club with the couple that she was living with. And the mom that had her started just really ranting about how she, this was a huge mistake. She regrets this and spent just a good 20 minutes just ranting about how terrible this girl was. And I told my husband, and I said, I'm pretty sure she's going to displace her. And a few days later, she did. And we reached out to the social worker. And she's like, all right, you know, I'll give you our number. You can talk to her. And we called and she spent an hour straight not letting us get a word in edgewise about all of her problems and how awful she was. And there's no hope for this girl. I mean, they just need to let her age out, done with her. And um, she's like, well, I'm, I'm sure I've scared you off by now. It's like, absolutely not. It's like, if anything, we want her with us more because we know how to do this. You know, these mm-hmm. are challenges that we have already been doing for years with our sons. And it's like, there's nothing this girl can throw at us that we aren't prepared for or aren't ready and willing to learn how to be prepared for. Mm-hmm. And one of the last things she said before she hung up was, if you think you have the skills and knowledge to parent this kid, more power to you. It's like, heck yeah, I've got the skills and knowledge to get her to my house. Hmm. And a few days later, she was here. Yeah. Now talk to me a little bit about your daughter. Tell me about her age. Tell me how long she had been in the system, how many placements, Um, because it was quite quite a lot of a background here. Yeah. um, She went into the system when she was seven. Um, probably should have been in years before that. Um, we were her 12th placement, and most of her disruptions were behavioral. And she um, had kind of been written off. Um, the social worker told us that if it didn't work with us, they were going to put her in a group home, let her wait out the last two years, and be done with her. And she actually said the words, she's a lost cause. <sighs> What happens to a kid like that who ages out? It, it does vary state by state, um, but cliche story if they give them a black trash bag and say good luck, 
about how it is. There's very little, if any, services available to them. And some states are much better than others. And sometimes it depends on the social worker or there's so many little nuances to to the system. But often it's just, well, good luck to you. Was she 15 or 16 when you got her? She was 15. Um, she just turned 16 in, in July. Okay. So when she came to you, she was 15 and she went into the system at seven. So quick math, that's eight years. That's 12 placements in eight years. Wow. And you said that a lot of the placement changes were mostly behavioral. Can you talk about some of the challenging behavior that was happening? What, what would, why did this other parent feel so at a loss that they displaced her again? You know, the teenage girl attitude, but times 10,000, um, a lot of what was considered disrespect, defiance, a lot of lying, speaking ground, um, manipulation, um, mm. school refusal, in-school suspensions, out-of-school suspensions, runaway attempts, um, a lot of fighting with other kids in the home. So when she when she came to you, was it just like a magic button and everything was beautiful when she walked in your home or was it? Too sweet. <laughs> She um, actually about three months into her being here, um, her social worker, we called again and she's like, this is by far the worst behavior she has had in any placement. Yeah. How did that make you feel when you heard that? I've done so much study with, um, you know, my son's autism and just being in CTC and the resources um, I've gained from you guys, the children that need love the most will ask for it in the most difficult ways. And so we, we knew that that was part of it. She was starting to feel comfortable and she was starting to relax. We could see those fleeting moments where she would just, nope, don't get comfortable. Hmm. And we would see that, you know, that kind of exhale. And then she would just inhale a hundredfold. What were some of the things that were happening when she first came into the home? I don't like to use the word disrespectful itself because I feel there is, um, it's very subjective. But yeah. it's what would so just tell me what would be considered yeah. disrespectful. Um, back talking, um, walking out of the room when we were talking to her, completely ignoring us. Um, a lot of the, I don't have to, you can't make me call my social worker have someone come pick me up. Um, Mm -hmm. Those were pretty much the only words we heard the first few days. Yeah. And when the social worker said it was the worst behavior out of any placement, what, what were some of those behaviors? What was happening? She would have just explosive anger. My husband one evening asked her to please pick up her dishes from the floor in the living room and she just exploded and, you know, screaming at him and cussing at him. And it's like the more we tried to soothe her, um, the more escalated she got. And she took her tablet and slammed it on the floor and shattered it and was screaming at us that we made her do that. And um, we had probably a dozen or so um, just explosive situations like that. Um, Mm -hmm. But then daily, often several times a day were the smaller, you know, raising her voice and 
slam doors and you can't bake me. And mm-hmm. um, her default was very much screaming. Mm-hmm. And the louder she could could get, uh, the louder she got. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And, you know, in Calm the Chaos, we talk a lot about creating plans. We have the five-stage roadmap of like an in-the-moment, a right storm, and ahead of the moment. Um, and all of them are based on the Calm the Chaos framework, which is connection, understanding, empowerment, and you at the center. And I know that you've kind of become an expert at this, just, <laughs> you know, using it with everyone in your family. What what was one plan that you used with your daughter that made a big difference? I think um, probably the one that has had the most impact is in CTC, we would call it, you know, ahead of the moment as well as an in the moment fan um, for this. But she had learned through the years that the only way her voice could be heard was to scream, to just mm-hmm. get as loud as she could. And also as defensive as she thought she needed to be in the moment. And so any simple thing that she had to tell us or ask us, she would scream. So we kind of knew going in from the history that that was an issue. And so we sat her down right away and told her that one of our family values is everyone's voice matters. Mm-hmm. Everyone gets an equal say. Everyone gets an opinion. And we don't have to agree with each other right away. You know, there can be compromises and tweaking later on, but everyone's voice gets heard. And because she had been screaming for so long that she defaulted to that. Even after she'd been here a while, she was comfortable. She had, you know, some confidence in the truth in that she would default to it. Mm-hmm. And so we came up with a plan that if she felt the need to scream or, or raise her voice, that she would simply say, hear me. Mm-hmm. And we would stop what we were doing, would walk near to her, we would make eye contact, and we would simply say, we're listening. And sometimes it's really hard to remain calm when someone's yelling at oh, us yeah, and screaming yeah. at us. What what was your, we call them anchors here, but what was your anchor to to kind of get through those moments without reacting? Um, I developed this anchor with my 13-year-old small downs, um, and it, it's worked very well um, with my daughter as well, is I just take a deep breath and I say to myself, hear the words, not the volume. And so mm-hmm. it just helps me kind of get out of my fight, flight, or freeze and be able to just hone in on the words they're saying, not how they're saying them. A big anchor that I've, I've used with her is she doesn't mean it. And because often she, almost every time she does come back and say, I didn't mean that. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. And I firmly believe our children don't mean that. I mean, even as adults, you know, we get in spats with, you know, our spouses and say something, you know, that, oh gosh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Or I didn't mean to say that. Mm -hmm. And especially, you know, when you've got out of the box kids and you're already overtired and overworked and, you know, we say things to them that sometimes we need to go back and apologize for. So there just has to be that grace on on both sides that they're going to say things that they don't mean. And sometimes, you know, we're going to say things we don't mean. 
And what has this plan, making this plan, I know it wasn't just like one and done and now you magically, everything's better, but um, you've used this plan for the last year now and tweaked it and continued to kind of um, show up for her this way. What has that made possible in your family now? It's really opened up lines of communication because she and I haven't specifically talked about this, but I imagine in the past, you know, if she's screamed something at someone, they'd scream back and there was a punishment and her her need wasn't met. Mm-hmm. So being able to, to use this plan really allowed us to have a communication on a deeper level mm-hmm. because we know when she says, hear me, that that's okay. She is struggling to find the words. She's struggling to remain calm. She needs our full attention right now before she has feels the need to to escalate the situation. Mm-hmm. And before we had this plan, my husband and I struggling to, okay, well, you know, I'm taking care of these. I can take care of her. And well, she wants this and you want this. And it kind of took, took that all the way. It's like, we hear those words. It's like, no, this is what we're doing. And now that um, now that she's able, is she still screaming all the time? Is that kind of her mode no, of communication? Actually, um, I wouldn't say it's it's a hundred percent, you know, because eight years of, of a habit, probably longer. Um, I imagine that started at a very young age. Um, so you can't undo that many years in in one year. But I'd say that ninety percent, if not more, improvement. That's amazing. Can you give me some examples of um, some of the things you do now to um, to connect with her or some some conversations you guys have had that really illustrate the, the change in your relationship over the last year? Um, one I had actually posted this in our um, Next Step community is I had posted um, nine months ago. Um, I was kind of leaning in and I was like, okay, we're on our fifth suspension She's being sent to the alternative school. I'm exhausted. I don't know what to do anymore. Help. That was nine months, right at nine months ago. And this morning, she spent the morning in community college cosmetology classes. And she's spending the afternoon at her high school, finishing out her junior year. So That's amazing. Nine months, she went from being kicked out of school to doing high school and college simultaneously. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Dana here. And guess what? My book, Calm the Chaos, has officially launched. So if you enjoy the podcast and find the stuff we're sharing valuable, I'm 100% sure you're going to love the book. You can get your copy at calmthechaosbook.com. And if you use this link, you'll also get some special bonuses. So once again, the link is calmthechaosbook.com. Thanks. I hope you're enjoying the show. And, um, I know that you guys have a fun way of connecting because it's hard to get her to open up and talk because she has so much walls built up. And um, so you shared when we were talking before about this really cool way that you have found that you can get her to open up. When she first came to us, um, I noticed that she would come um, stroke my hair. She'd come stand close to me and just stroke my hair. And I kind of tracked that for um, a few days and it's like, okay, that's, that's comforting to her. That's something she does when she's nervous. And, and then she is going into cosmetology. And so she would ask me if she could braid my hair. And while she was braiding my hair, she'd ask me, you know, a simple question. She's like, oh, you know, okay, I'm done braiding. You can, you can go on. Or she'd ask to curl my hair, which takes at least an hour, sometimes two. 
And while she was curling my hair, we would get into something that was more challenging or heavier. After a few cycles, I was like, okay, this is a code. It's like if she just wants to do, you know, a five-minute braid, just quick advice. If she wants to do curls, then she's she's got a challenge. Mm-hmm. And that did become kind of a code because she wasn't able to just sit down and say, hey, I need to talk to you about something. But the, the very first time she braided my hair, she we just started chit-chatting about something that had happened at school. It just kind of became our special thing. She uses me, you know, as kind of a a mannequin for her classes. But instead of having the pressure of, you know, coming and sitting beside me on the couch and saying, mom, I need to talk to you about something. She's like, hey, let's go curl your hair. I love that. Um, And she recently came to you and said something about her voice and about listening. Can, Can you share a little bit about that? She's, you know, been here for a year now. The adoption was finalized. Um, in March. So, but yeah, she's been living in our home for right at a year. And we were just kind of reminiscing a few months ago, just about how far she's come and, and the changes. And she was just, as she called bragging on herself and, you know, proving people wrong, all of these people that said all these things about her and look where she is now. And, and she just stopped and, and looked at me and she's like, mom, thank you for giving me a voice. Hmm. She's like, I've never had a voice before. It's like, you will always have one with us. She's like, oh, I'll always have one forever now. I She's love like, that I found so it. much. I'm not giving it up. Yeah, that is so beautiful. And I think it just really reminds us how much our kids want to feel heard and seen and valued for who they are. And you've really given her that space without... Um, reprimanding her or putting her in like these, you have to do it this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want you to to share your voice. I want you to share your thoughts, but it has to be in this certain way for me to listen. Um, you've really given her a chance to be heard. And then therefore, the way she shares her voice has changed over time. Yeah. It's not through screaming. It's not through mean words. It is um, in a different way, even at school. And that's a testament um, to that connection you have with her. What would you say to someone who, you know, one of the big things we talk about and you've talked about it here is really understanding, getting to the bottom of things and um, having that connection and collaboration with the kids. But I hear from so many parents that'll say, well, what do you do when they can't tell you what's wrong? Or what do you do when they won't tell you what's wrong? What do they do when they just blame you for everything? And I feel like you're kind of saying you had all those challenges. Um, So what would you say to a parent who's struggling to connect because they feel like they're either getting shut out or blamed or um, they, they're getting nothing. Um, connection can be tricky, um, especially with out-of-the-box kids, and then even more so with teenagers, as you know, they're going into that independent phase and don't want to you know, sit and play with mommy and daddy. You really have to set aside what connection means to you and what it looks like to you and find mm-hmm. what it means to them. And sometimes you have to to really dig for it. And every child has their own unique way of, of connecting, of communicating. And I would, you know, plan, you know, cookie decorating with my kids. And they're like, I want nothing to do with that. And I would kind of, you know, get my feelings hurt and get upset. It's like, but I came up with this whole great activity, but I wasn't thinking what 
if that would be meaningful to them. And I kind of use the analogy of when we can't find our car keys in the morning for work, we don't just say, well, can't find them going back to bed. Well, we... I mean, I'd like to. We, (laughs) you know, truth be told, I probably have once or twice. (laughs) But, you know, we we dig in the coat pockets and under the couch and in the pantry and eventually we find them. And oftentimes it's like, okay, don't know how they ended up there, but there they are. Our children are, are much the same way as their their key is there. Every child has that magic key that opens them up, you know, their connection and their empowerment and, and their understanding. And sometimes you do have to look in some unexpected places and we'll find it in very mm-hmm. unexpected places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so powerful. They will, they will show you what mm-hmm. resonates with them. And you just have to really look for the unspoken. It's like, I never would have thought that my connection time with my seven-year-old would be talking about social justice and going up against bullying policies at his school. It's like, honey, you're seven. We should be playing Roblox. But (laughs) it just, it lights him up and he will just sit and talk my ear off about it. And my 13-year-old, you know, it's playing video games. And my 20-year-old, it was, it was cooking. And I would try to do all these things that I thought that they would find fun, that I thought was something that we could do together. And they just would pretty much just walk out of the room. And so when I started seeing when I was having connection with them, their faces would light up or they'd lean in or they would become engaged in what we were doing. And that's what I really honed in on. And something that I've learned, it started with, my husband really, but is kind of spelled out with my children as well, is connection doesn't always have to be, you know, a shared activity. Um, I wanted to hang out with my husband the other night and I went upstairs and he was um, gaming with his friends on his computer and he was just cracking up having a blast. And so I went and sat on the bed and I pulled out my phone and I listened to him laugh with his friends and played on my phone. And it's like we were in the same space. You know, doing our own things. But to me, to both of us, that was connection. We didn't have to be actively doing the same thing, but we were just in a shared space. Yeah. And you can apply that. I bet you applied that a lot with your daughter at the beginning, especially, is just having a shared space with her instead of forcing that connection when she wasn't ready for it yet. That one usually backfires. If you force the connection. Yes. Absolutely. And that's something I wanted to talk to you about next is um, one of the biggest pushbacks that I hear um, when we post anything about what we suggest and creating family teams and creating agreements and doing away with punishments and consequences um, and kind of traditional parenting is that that's what's wrong with today's generation and that that's why our jails are full and that's why kids are getting suspended and kicked out of school and that that's all the problems today. Um, and I find it interesting because I think if we were to actually look at a lot of the people in uh, in the jail system, I think we would find that many of them have, you know, 
had corporal punishments. I think we would see that they've had um, lots of suspensions. Actually, I know that we would. We would see that there's a connection there. And so, um, but from a real parent, a real family, you've got a daughter here who had spent, you know, 15 years being given every consequence in the book, literally. And you did something radically different. So what what are your thoughts on this idea that removing consequences and punishments is what's, you know, the doom of our society? What would you have to say about that? <laughs> well, kind of my first thought is, if um, that type of discipline and parenting worked, why are you old school? You can only, you know, try the same thing without it working so many times before you realize maybe we should try something else because if this was going to work, wouldn't it have worked by now? But I think people hear, um, you know, phrases like removing consequences as we just let them do whatever they want, whatever they want. They rule the house, especially, you know, um, the older generation that spare the rod, spoil the child. They hear, you know, no punishment, no consequence, and they take it to that extreme that they just run amok and we don't care until you've really seen the results of the CTC framework and just methodology in and of itself, because it, it truly is CTC is truly, you know, it's a philosophy. It's not just a set of skills. And once you're able to adopt that, that mindset of let's, you know, try it a different way and stay curious and learning from your children, then I really think that that's, that's a big game changer. Yeah, because I ask him, I wonder what you were thinking when you said that. I wonder what you were feeling when you did that. And like, okay, so, so he wonders. I was like, yeah. It becomes very second nature, but when other parents see it kind of in action, as I say, there's almost a, a disbelief of you're not using consequences or punishments and you're getting these results. Like, yeah, because I stopped listening to all of the people that told me I should be doing this. Yeah. What would have happened to your daughter had when she got to your placement and she started yelling at you and she started skipping school and she started hiding things and taking things? What what would have happened if you just grounded her, if you took away her phone, if you did all of the things that, um, you know, people say you quote unquote should do? What do you think the trajectory would have been? I think it probably would have just been Groundhog's Day because that's what she was used to. She was used to, you know, the old school consequences and punishments. And she was a lost cause because that's what they had been doing. It's like if any of that was going to be effective, she wouldn't have gone through, you know, that many placements and she wouldn't be, you know, we wouldn't be her last ditch effort as mm -hmm. they told us. And a child that especially an out of the box child, you can't expect a human dealing with other humans to not respond like a human. <laughs> it was like, I would never go up to an adult you know, having a bad day, you're like, why don't you just knock it off, go to your room, give me your phone, we're done. I would never talk to an adult like that. They're like, hey, you know, what's, what's going on? Is there anything I can do to help? Let's, you know, try to figure this out. So why should we talk 
can approach our children differently than we would a coworker or a spouse. And I've gotten mm-hmm. a lot of pushback on that one. But mm-hmm. you're not, you know, you're not there to be their friend. You're not there to, you show them you're the boss. You're the boss of them. That's when I get a lot. You're the boss mm-hmm. of them. Mm-hmm. And your daughter had seen enough people try to be the boss of her. Mm-hmm. And we see the results of that is that she just tried to scream louder. She just tried to push harder. And so by not being the boss of her, by listening to her, by um, really trying to understand what she was trying to say, you saw a dramatic difference. And she now has a totally different trajectory for her entire life because you listened because you were there for her because she knows that she has a safe place where her voice can be heard. And so I just want to, I want to say that is absolutely amazing that you were able to do that. And your story I know is going to help so many parents out there who are struggling with this and struggling to make that shift, especially when they're being told by so many others um, what they should or shouldn't do. What would you say to a parent who has a foster or newly adopted child and they're struggling. That kid is pushing back. They are argumentative. They are refusing to do any of the things by the quote unquote house rules. Um, what do you want them to hear more than anything else right now um, and, and take away? When you, you bring a child into your home, you have to everything else is secondary. The rules, the routines, the schedules, there's plenty of time for that. The very first thing you have to do is build the trust and the connection because the majority, if not all of these children have zero trust. Most likely, um, my daughter certainly did see how far they can push you. And she actually told us a few weeks ago, she's like, I just pushed you as hard as I could in the beginning to See how long it was going to take you to get rid of me so I could just figure out what to do next. And mm. the older children, especially the, the teenagers that have been in the system for a while, is until you have that, that connection with them, no matter how small that is, you know, something that they can rely on that, okay, you know, we'll have breakfast together every morning. I can rely on that. Mm. Or you're going to be home waiting for me when I get home from school. I can rely on that. And something that they can take with them that is going to be an anchor for them that I can rely on this one good thing that is going Mm -hmm. to be the same every day Mm -hmm. and you know chores and getting good grades and that that all has to be secondary of course it's important but it has to be secondary because until you have the connection and the trust none of the rest of that matters to them because they're not going to put any type of emotional investment into a situation until they feel like they can trust it. You know, why unpack? You know, she literally, like the literal unpacking as well as the emotional unpacking, she refused to unpack um, her clothes for two weeks. She's like, why bother? And it was, you know, that's a literal tangible example, but emotionally, um, they're not going to unpack either. And until you're able to start unpacking that, the other stuff doesn't matter. She had dishes in her bedroom. They were, you know, trash didn't get taken out. Schedules were all over the place. And it made it a little difficult, you know, because my other two are very scheduled and very routine. And 
it's just kind of, you know what? It is what it is right now. None of this other stuff matters. And then once we got to that comfort level with her that she felt safe, she felt trust in us, then we started working on the other stuff. But if we had tried doing that other stuff before, it would have mm-hmm. been completely unsuccessful because it didn't matter to her. Why, you know, build a routine when I'm not going to be here in two weeks? It's such a good point because so often when we're in it, we feel like, but we, and it's the first advice is create structure, create uh, rules and systems so that they know exactly what's expected so that, you know, they know what the boundaries are and they know what lines they can and cannot cross. And you're saying, no, forget that for now. And I think it's important for people to hear that piece for now. You're not saying forever. You're saying when you're in, when there's dysregulation, when there's broken connection, when there's a, a trauma, a problem, a challenge, we have to let go of all these things we think should happen for now. And we have to address the connection, the trust, the safety first, build that foundation. Then we can bring back in those other things that we know kids need to be successful, to to feel well-rounded, to be able to navigate life. And so I would guess that you don't have zero structure in your home at this point. I would say that it's probably, you know, you, but allowing that, that allowing is so hard for so many parents and that allowing that you did in those first few weeks to the first few months is what has allowed all of you, your whole family to get to where you are today. So I just commend you on that. And, you know, just this story is so empowering and so uplifting. And so thank you so much for sharing and telling your story and being vulnerable. And if this story has helped anyone uh, today and you're listening to this, please, you know, comment on, you know, whatever you're watching this on or listening to it on, uh, send us a message on Instagram, on Facebook. We'd love to hear how this story resonated with you. Jen is a very active member in our Calm the Chaos community. And so um, if you join us over in the community, she is right there to catch you and chat with you as well. So uh, Jen, are there any final things that you want to say that maybe I didn't ask you about? Many of us are um, going back to school. Um, We've only been in school for four days and that's something that um, I just kind of wanted to to touch on with, um, you know, going back to connection, especially, you know, our older kids, our teenagers, is they're with new teachers, new friends, new students. They're experiencing new things, learning new things, some good, some not. During this transition back into school, connection may start to look different. And things that they loved doing the night before, their friend at recess told them that's stupid, so they don't want to do it anymore. And so we have to kind of give them some some grace with that, give ourselves some grace with that, that during those first few weeks, maybe even months of getting back into school, knowing that there's probably going to be a lot of, well, John doesn't like that, so I don't like it anymore. Or Heather loves this, so it's my new favorite thing. And we have to just ride those, those waves of the peer influence and the teacher influence and what they loved yesterday, they hate today. My youngest came home absolutely hating his favorite TV show because his 
kid next to him didn't like it. (laughs) (laughs) That's really good advice. Just to really be listening, keeping those listening ears open, especially in any big transition, like the beginning of school or like coming back from a holiday or during the summer, new teacher, new friends. Those are really good reminders at all ages, especially again, if we're dealing with kids who push a little harder, who are trying to find their place in the world and they don't fit traditional standards, they don't fit the mold, um, you're going to have to open up those listening ears just a little bit more to listen for their language. So um, thank you so much for sharing that. um, This um, completely slipped my mind, but I definitely um, want to say with bringing in um, foster or adoptive children is please do not ask them to share their story. Hmm. Do not ask them, okay, well, what happened to your mom? What happened to your dad? How did, don't ask them. Give them the permission and the space and let them know that you want to hear their story and you're ready to hear their story. But don't ask. I almost destroyed my relationship with my daughter because I asked a question and it triggered her. And she ran upstairs and didn't even make eye contact with me for a full day. And the next day she's like, please don't ask ever again. And looking back, it's like, I, I, I should have known that. But we want to connect with them. And the connection is, is understanding the history and understanding the past. You have to let them come to you. So it's like opening the door and saying, I'm here when you're ready. And I think that's the case with a lot of a lot of kids, but especially if you're dealing with some past traumas, if you're dealing with someone who's been in 12 different family settings over an eight-year period, there's, you know, open the door and then say, I'm here when, whenever you want to tell your story um, and whenever it's time. And that can be a year from now, uh, you know, 10 years from now, whatever that is. She even said the words, I'm just going to write a damn book and let people read it because I'm tired of telling everybody. Mm -hmm. It's like, I've got a story, so do you. And over the last year, here and there, she'll tell us little things. But Mm. if anyone asks a question, it's very triggering for her. Mm -hmm. So that's a really good reminder. Just leave that door open and let them know that you want to hear it. But force mm. And do you have a favorite resource for parenting um, foster or adoptive children? Uh, calm the chaos. <laughs> I promise I did not put <laughs> you up to this. I thought maybe you'd share some other resources. <laughs> no. Um, honestly, I the book club um, that that I went to um, was was through the state. A lot of the the resources that I used personally were through the state. Um, But I, you know, I I had CTC. (laughs) So I didn't really need to look for outside resources. Mm -hmm. Um, I wish I had some off the top of my head that that I could give you. (laughs) 
No, that's wonderful. If you're listening to this and you're looking for a resource and you have not checked out Calm the Chaos yet, the Calm the Chaos book is now out. You can go to calmthechaosbook.com. You can grab the entire framework and roadmap inside of that book. Um, and we also have a full program and community where we walk people through that. So if that's something you're interested in, all you have to do is DM us and we will gladly tell you all about that in our next workshop that we have coming up. So um, I promise I didn't put Jen up to that, <laughs> but thank you, Jen. And I'm so glad it's been such a great resource. And honestly, the thing that has like lit me up the most. And when I got that comment about this is, you know, calling kids challenging is such a terrible thing. And I thought about your daughter and I thought about your story. And then I thought about when the other person said, I think it was the caseworker or whatever said, you know, she's too far gone. Like, are you up to this? And you sit up in your chair if you're listening to this on podcast. Jen sits up in her chair when she says the like, you bet I do, bring it on. You know, how many of us as parents want to feel that confidence and that ease and that that fortitude and resilience of like, yes, I have got this. No matter how hard this is, bring on the challenge. Most of us, you know, just yearn for that. And to see you stand up like that, Jen, and answer that way. I'm like, this is what this is for. This is for those kids that everyone else is calling too challenging. We know they're not too challenging. We know they're exactly the kid they're meant to be. And we know they just need one person who sees them for that amazing kid that they are, who can see their struggles and their superpowers, who can see and listen and hear their story and their voice. And that is what you've done, Jen. So Thank you again for sharing your story. Those of you listening, please share the love for Jen. Um, let her know how much her story has touched you. Uh, it means a ton. I'll pass them on. Uh, I know where to find her. And so I'll pass on any amazingness that you guys share with us. And if you're looking for more support, you can go to calmthechaosbook.com, check out the Calm the Chaos book, and we would love to chat with you about any struggles that you're going through and help you find your confidence and your calm so that you can also help your kids find their voice. So with that, I am just going to remind each and every one of you guys that you are not failing, your kid is not broken, and you have 100% got this because you are no longer alone. I will... See and talk to you guys on next week's episode. Bye, guys. Oh, and before I go, one quick note for all of you who are enjoying the podcast. My new book is officially live, and I know you're going to love it. So just a quick reminder, you can go get your copy at calmthechaosbook.com. And if you do, you'll get some cool bonuses as well. Once again, get your copy at calmthechaosbook.com, and I'll see you next week.